Good morning, Northbrook Church. Glad to see you all this morning. Today's reading will be coming from Psalm 144. If you do not own a copy of God's Word, we have some on the welcome table and you should take one home as our gift to you. Psalm 144. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-stringed harp I will play to you, who gives victory to kings, who rescues David his servant from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners, whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. May our sons in their youth be like plants full-grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace, May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning we are going to be talking through Psalm 144. And uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Our lead pastor, Jake, is on uh, sabbatical for the month of July. And so um, we are going to endure some subpar preaching together. Uh, but, but, But I can promise you I'm going to pronounce all my H's the way that they should be pronounced. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. It's not a coup, but it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to restore H's <laughs> in humility. I'll do that. Um, but no, I'm excited to, uh, I'm excited to jump in and, and get uh, into the Psalms. Uh, again, just as I was saying a little bit earlier, I, I love the, the, the breadth of the Psalms that, and that it teaches. And I love that, that really this is, this is one of God's ways of putting words in our mouths, uh, of ways to praise him, of ways to uh, figure out kind of how we are, uh, e- even as humans, how our emotions mix together with God's truth and how that informs us. And, uh, and, and really we get to see that, that man, in the light of who God is, uh, we get to come to him because of him. Uh, and, and, and so I'm just excited to 
see what the Lord has for us. This psalm in particular, Psalm 144, it's a, it's a royal psalm of battle. And so uh, you, you can just imagine David uh, singing this psalm uh, before going into combat uh, or, or just praying and meditating this right when uh, the dust is about to get kicked up. Uh, and, and so he's praying this. And, and, and really, it, it's a, then a great prayer for us uh, to, to pray, to uh, meditate upon in, in times of warfare against sin and uh, when, when we're struggling and suffering, uh, we have that as well. And so this psalm, it, it shows us a, a little bit of who God is uh, and, and, and who he is to David and to Israel, but, but just who he is in nature. Uh, and, and then we get to see what we're to do with that. And so today's going to look a, a little bit, the, the sermon today is going to look a little bit like we're, we're going to read through this kind of section by section and we're going to go through it and, and kind of talk through this from the perspective of kind of David and, and is in his context. Uh, and, and then we're going to come back and, and we're just going to spend some time praying through it. Uh, and and, and we'll, we'll do that in our perspective and context uh, informed by what the word says. So uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and get into this and... Uh, and, and Yeah, see what the Lord may have. And so we'll start with verses 1 and 2. David again says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. So there's so much. Just in those first two verses, there's so much that David's saying about God. That, that we get to see so much we learn about who he is, what he does. And when we look at these verses, we, we really kind of see David putting, uh, putting these, these characteristics and these attributes of God in kind of three different categories. One, he's saying, God is my rock. Uh, and, and then he's saying, God is my trainer. And, and then he's saying, God is, uh, is my, my strong tower, my protector. And so we'll look at those three things individually and talk a little bit uh, about them each. The first one, that God is his rock. This is David saying, God, you, you are my strength. You are my sure strength on which I stand. And the awesome thing is that, that not only does God give David strength, but, but God himself is David's strength. I love how uh, Charles Spurgeon talks about this. He says, not only does Jehovah give strength to his saints, but he is their strength. The strength is made theirs because God is theirs. God is full of power and he becomes the power of those who trust him. In him our great strength lieth and to be him and to him be blessings more than we are able to utter. And so David is, is beginning the psalm this way. And he's saying, God, you strengthen and empower me to fight this fight. And, and he stands on his firm foundation. And, and his footing is, for the fight is, is sure. We even see in Psalm 121 that he talks about, he knows that God won't let his foot slip because God himself is his help, the creator of heaven and earth. And so we know that David, and he was a, a Killed warrior. We, we know that he fought many battles uh, and, and killed many people, not the least of which you'll remember the giant warrior Goliath that he killed when he was just a little boy. He was capable of doing a lot of damage. Yet, even here in this, we see David acknowledging that his own strength is, is not enough. His own strength is not enough to make this happen. He's acknowledging that he needs 
the true strength of God Almighty in order to accomplish what's before him. So he's starting with it, God, you are my rock, you are my strength. And then he moves on and he says that God is his trainer, it's his instructor, his teacher. Uh, he, he trains David. And so if you've ever played a, a, any kind of sport of any kind, or maybe you've trained for a marathon, maybe you've even uh, had the honor of serving in the military, you know how much preparation goes into and how much training and practice goes into preparing for an event, whether it's a game or race or actual physical combat, you know how much preparation there is. And you know if you go in there unprepared, you know how damaging that could be. Like, like you know, there's, there's great fear of getting hurt or worse. And so God is the one who instructs and, and coaches David in his physical and tactical preparation. God is the potter who molds and shapes David as the clay, which we know the same is for Jerusalem. When we look at uh, Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6, it says this, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O Israel." And so we, we see that, that God is, is forming and, and, and he molded and shaped. He knitted David together in the womb, but it, but it doesn't just stop there. He's continuing to work on him. Throughout the Old Testament, we get to see in, in uh, the stories of David and, and really even in, in through some of the Psalms, we get to see that God was still molding and shaping him physically in his appearance, giving him uh, uh, certain attributes, giving him a personality, gifts and talents. But we also see that, that David, uh, as he was growing as a man, physically he was growing as a man after God's own heart. That, that the Lord was continuing to uh, sharpen him, to disciple him, and to sanctify him. And God's love and his care for David here in, in the way that he seeks after him is it, just, it, it's incredible because this is, this is David. Like remember David, like he did some pretty messed up stuff. Yet God did not abandon or forsake him. He prepared his body and mind and spirit for the fight. And, and if you think about uh, God as kind of the, the trainer, instructor, teacher, there's some similarities in thinking about the relationship between like a coach and a player, right? There, there's a, a, a little bit of that, like the coach makes decisions about strength and conditioning training and game plans and what that's going to look like, all that stuff. But that that metaphor really kind of breaks down pretty quickly when we read in Deuteronomy 20, verses 2 through 4. It says, And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for a battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. Man, what, what grace and kindness that, that, that God not only goes with his people into battle, but then he fights for his people in battle. This is so much better than when I was coaching my boys' soccer teams. 
because I was, it was awesome. I was able to be out on the field. I don't know, I don't know why, I, was, I don't know anything about soccer really. Just that you kick the ball towards the net. So that's what I was running. I would, I would run around on the field with them and tell them, hey, kick it over here, go here, go over there. This is so much better that this would be as if I, or somebody who's good at soccer, was playing as well. Like, I'm so much bigger than those six-year-olds. I would have dominated. I would have scored so many goals. This is like more like that. It's, it's not just that, that God's on the sideline yelling or even on the field yelling. He's in this. He is their strength, and he goes with them and fights for them. So God is David's rock, his strength. And he acknowledges that. He acknowledges God is the one that trains his hands and his fingers for war, for battle. And then we also see that God is his protector. I mean, if we just look at verse 2 and see how many things David calls him in, in that one verse. He is saying that his, it's his fortress, his stronghold, his deliverer, his shield, his refuge. He's saying God is, is this impenetrable fortress, a stronghold that will never be overtaken, will never be scaled, whose walls will never crumble. He's saying God is a shield all about him, all around him that will never break, it will never crack, and it is fortified enough to withstand even the most fiery of arrows. God is the safest of havens, a dear refuge for a weary soul being pursued by danger and trouble, and all of this done in steadfast love. God is the one who will deliver David and Israel from this battle. David only needs to remain in him, to remain in the Lord. And so David opens the psalm this way by saying all that God is all that he is to him. And when David looks at God, it becomes pretty undeniably clear that, that God is God and that David is not. So we'll look at verse 3. Oh Lord, what is man that you regard him? Or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. So David seeing that God is, is so holy, is, is so much higher than he is, and David is quick to see and to confess this reality. And, and, and David says that man is, is nothing. Man is hopeless and helpless without God, the rock, the fortress. Because we know that God is everlasting. He has always been. He is and he will always be. Man, on the other hand, is but a breath, a passing shadow. The rest of the Bible talks about in the New Testament. It talks about how, man, we are just a mist that is here today and gone tomorrow. Flesh that will fade away as, uh, as the grass does. But through it all, the Lord God stands from everlasting to everlasting. And David sees his feeble frame, his feeble state compared to God's. And he knows that without the Lord's help and, and without the Lord's intervention... That, that David would surely be condemned to death in this fight. Then he petitions the Lord for help, beginning in verse 5. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters. 
from the hand of the foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. And so we see David, he, he's drawing this imagery, where he's drawing from these situations where, where God did reveal himself, where God would cover the mountains with smoke as his presence descended, condescended to man, and where his power and his glory were displayed, and he spoke with thunder and lightning. This is the all-powerful, omniscient, almighty God of the universe condescending down to the helpless and undeserving man that he might rescue them from death. And he's, David's saying that the, those who are the enemies of God is what he means by foreigners here. And so you'll remember from our, our study in Ezra over this last summer, was it last summer? Nobody remembers. So we preached through Ezra. Uh, and you'll remember that when it talks about foreigners, it, it, it's we're, we're the foreigners, right? Like it's, it's anyone that was not uh, part of the Israel Hebrew nation. And so uh, always in, when God is instructing uh, them or when we see foreigners here in this, it, it is always about keeping Israel set apart so that there is no worship of pagan false gods. So that's what he's saying here. He's saying, God, we know your truth. We know, please rescue me. And David's saying, come down and, and execute your perfect justice upon your enemies who speak, who not only speak lies, but, but they actually hold uh, falsehood. They, they hold in their right hand a state of being untrue. God, come and rescue me from these lies with your truth. And then I love how the psalm takes a turn in this next Section. He petitions God to come down and help, but then he, he shows his response, beginning in verse 9. I will sing a new song to you, O God, upon a ten-stringed harp. I will play to you who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, his servant, from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. And so David's response here is worship. He, he is worshiping God, ascribing all power and honor and glory to him for, for who he is, for what he is due, the honor and glory that he's due. And he's so certain of the victory. He's saying, God, come and grant us this victory so I can write you a new song. He's certain because he's certain who God is. God's enemies do not know, and they walk around holding lies in their hand, but David is going to hold a harp. With God's help, he'll replace any falsehoods in his hands by laying them down and picking up an instrument of praise. He's living in the victory and the future grace that is in him through God as he prays this again before he's engaged in the battle. He's so certain, he has such trust in God that God has given him the trust that he knows victory is certain. And, and we don't know what David was feeling in this moment, right? Like he might have had a pit in his stomach. It might have some butterflies. He, he may kind of be anxiously awaiting that, that blast of the war horn. Or maybe he didn't feel any of those things. Maybe he was raring to go, just completely stone-faced, completely fearless. We don't know, but regardless of what David was feeling, 
this moment, it was evident that he was clinging to what is true and was clinging to the promises of God as he worshiped him. And then we move into the final section, and we see a blessing that David prays for the people of God. We'll pick it up in verse 12. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars, cut for the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall, but blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. So again, David's praying this over the people of God, knowing that, that this in and of itself is not a promise. He, he's, he's saying this and he's petitioning this, but he knows it's not a promise to Israel. Clearly things have not always gone that well for them. But this is a prayer acknowledging that these things are alone God's to give and God's to take away. What a joy it was for David knowing that he could trust him in that too. That God is the giver of all things and he knows perfectly what his children need. Because again, remember, David was a man after God's own heart, but David was really good at messing up a good gift. He could take that good gift and make it bad. And that's the same as Israel as a whole. Because listen, if they were always free, if they were always prosperous, if they always were surrounded by these good gifts, then those good gifts that were meant to evoke this sense of awe and worship and gratitude to God can quickly become entitled comforts that instead of, they evoke a sense of self-stability and forgetfulness. And so David is asking God for these blessings, knowing that whether or not any or all of them come to pass, God is still good and he is still in charge and he still does know what's best. He alone is the one that both gives and takes away for his glory and for the good of his people. And, and I, I love how this section of the psalm ends and it's saying that, that if people have all of these blessings that, that are just as if they have them, then yes, they're surely blessed people. However, there is no greater blessing than to be able to call the Lord Almighty their God. The Keelan DeLeach commentary says it this way. To be allowed to call God from whom every blessing comes his God is still infinitely more than the richest abundance of material blessing. The pinnacle of Israel's good fortune consists in being, by the election of God's grace, the people of the Lord. The, the, the pinnacle of their blessing. The, the most they can be blessed is in God. Not just one of those added on top or, or even added kind of in the mix of the other things that David's asking for. The pinnacle of the blessing is if they have God and, and nothing else, then they have everything that they need. He is their rock and their strength. He trains them. He provides for them. 
He, he condescends to them as unworthy as they are to rescue and to redeem them. And so they might give him the glory that he's due by worshiping him in spirit and in truth for their whole lives. God gave himself to the people of Israel and, and every physical blessing on top of that should just simply be to remind them of that fact. So I love this psalm. I love how David crafts this prayer. And, and I want to learn as much as I can on how to approach God, on, on, on what to ask for, and to be so sure and certain of victory, of victory over sin, of victory over death. We're, we're going to take a minute now. We're, we're, this is what I want us to do. I want us to, to kind of go back through this psalm and I mean, we're just going to pray this psalm, and we're going to meditate on this psalm together. I know that kids are in here with us. We usually have uh, child care, but um, man, man, we love hearing the, the voices. And so we're going to have kids in here, and, and it's going uh, to be great. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through kind of each section of that psalm, and then I'll kind of give us some prompts, and we'll have some space. But, but I'm going to invite us to pray uh, because this is why. As a royal psalm of, of battle, we have got to realize that every single day of our lives is a battle. Every single day that we have breath in our lungs is a day that Satan wants to kill us. He wants to hurt and maim as much as he can. He wants to tarnish as much as he can and suppress as much as he can. He is hunting like a lion prowling around because he hates God, therefore he hates you. He's hiding in the brush, waiting to pounce. That's how I feel about him too, waiting to pounce. And if we're just, if we're just kind of walking around and we're just, we just kind of jump into the brush of life and relationships and cultural issues and our strength is not the Lord's, if we're trying to fight with our own strength, if we're not standing upon his firm rock, if we're not gripping our trained hands, if, if we're not relying on him and hiding inside the fortress of God Almighty, we're going to get bit. So we're going to practice that right now. And we're going to beg that the Lord would move in our hearts, that he would enlighten our eyes and ears to, to more of who he is and more of what he has for us, that we might walk in his steadfast love while we face many waters. And so again, I'll, I'll read uh, a section and I'll give us some prompts and then we'll just have some pray, uh, some space to pray silently and uh, yeah, and, and we'll go. So let's take a moment and pray this scripture together. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. So just take a moment now and bless the Lord, your rock, your trainer, your protector. Thank him for specific examples in your life, ways that he has been these things for you. Take a moment now and pray.
Oh, Lord, what is man that you regard him? The son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are a passing shadow. So let's pray and consider these things. If, if, if you're not a Christian in this place, I wonder if you would just consider your life compared to a perfect and everlasting creator God. The, the frailty of life. And believer, think, think and, and pray through your, your frailty and, and your enslavement to sin before Jesus saved you. Knowing that when, when you were at your worst, the God of the universe looked upon you, considered you, and thank him for looking upon you and having pity upon you. Pray now. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke, flash forth the lightning, and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. And take a moment and just thank God that he stooped down low. Thank him for his gospel. That that God, the son, wrapped himself in flesh. And that Jesus walked on this earth perfectly, never sinning, sinning, never offending God's holiness in any way. And he took the place of God's people. By accepting the punishment of death that we deserve. And then he rose again by the Spirit of God and defeated sin and death, rescuing and delivering his people from the many waters and many troubles. Just thank him now for his gospel. I will sing a new song to you. O God, upon a ten-stringed harp, I will play to you, who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, his servant, from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners, whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Let's just take a moment now and just even in your heart, just worship the Lord for the victory that he has given you over sin and over death that he has empowered you to lay down the falsehood in your hand and to pick up a weapon of praise. So thank him for the future grace that we get to walk in right now and ask him to grow our trust in him, be able to pray knowing that victory in Jesus over whatever waters we face is as certain as anything could ever possibly be.
May our sons in their youth be like plants full-grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut from the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Take a moment and thank God for the gift of himself. If he is the Lord, you are God, then you are blessed beyond all measure. Whether or not you're married, whether or not you have children, whether or not you have much or little, if you have Jesus Christ and nothing else, we have everything. Let's take a moment and thank him for his blessings and and ask him for the mercy and the fortitude to be able to grieve the blessings that he has maybe taken away or maybe never even given at all. So ask him to grow our faith as we run to him for refuge. Let's take a moment now. Heavenly Father, you are our rock. You are our strength, our shield. We thank you, God, that you teach, that you protect us. God, you go before us, you go behind us, you hem us in. And you go with us into any battle that we face. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that our our battles are are now not against flesh and blood, but against their spiritual battles against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly realms, Lord, you, you, you strengthen us for that fight. You strengthen us to fight against sin. You strengthen us to fight for your good name. God, you strengthen us to be your hands and your feet. Because, Lord, there are great cries of distress in our streets. Lord, the the brokenhearted and the downtrodden, the weary, the fearful, the rebellious, the resentful, Lord, we are, are, there are great cries of distress inside and outside of your church. God, we need you. We need your spirit, Lord. Would you help us? Would you come and help us? Would you empower us, God, to be a church that that loves hard, Lord, that, that gives sacrificially, that counts everything as a loss for the sake of knowing you, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. 
God, we long to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you, that you would help us to wage war on our knees, knowing, Lord, that our strength alone will, will never be enough. We need you, God. Would you help us? It is in Christ that we live and that we pray. Amen.